1: Hello, and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, a.k.a. Cranges McBasketball. And Tim, Whoa, you just dropped a bomb today before we got on. Uh, Mike D'Antoni is joining Steve Nash's coaching staff. What do you think about D'Antoni taking the number
2: two role, go go coach in uh, Brooklyn? Well, well, I can hear you almost choking back some tears or Uh, or coughing. I'm so scared of the D'Antoni offense in Brooklyn (laughs) I I think it's an interesting move he's clearly a very good offensive coach has definitely had a specific style or two in mind him pairing up with the point guard that he had running that seven seconds or less offense makes it pretty clear what they might be looking to do and I mean the the Nets bringing in Nash would have hinted to that as well but not necessarily meant that they for sure wanted to do that because he's he was an excellent point guard in his own right. And you could have seen that going different ways. But this hire in particular makes me think, oh, I know what they're doing now, um, which I think will be interesting to watch. I guess Kyrie will be running that. We'll have KD out there. We'll have to see what they do when it comes to free agency, when it comes to potentially trading some guys. They had an interesting roster this past year and moving forward to next year. Players may be in different positions, and they want may want to like shift some guys around or shift players to different teams to try to make sure that they have the best roster possible around those two star players that they have. So I I don't know. I'm excited. I think that D'Antoni in an in an assistant role will be. I mean, it may be a temporary stop for him, but it obviously helps Brooklyn out. It, I think taking his offensive genius and then leaving but but limiting it to just that offensive genius potentially or you know him being a head coach in the past helps Nash a first-time head coach with any first-time head coach you want to have an experienced staff so that's a direct contribution offense he's a direct contribution but I think it leaves space for Nash to create his own path when it comes to how they want to defend um, which I think leaves room for opportunity, or it leaves opportunity for improvement there from what we've seen with some D'Antoni teams in the past. So I'm excited. I think it's fun. Uh, I I had been taking a look at that. I wasn't sure if D'Antoni would take that step back, but we've seen him do it. We've seen some other coaches do that same thing. And I I think being on a team and being in the league is a much, much better spot to be in than taking a year off and in, in being on the outside or like going on and being an analyst and having to say smart things every single day. And if you say anything dumb, it could be counted against you. So being in a program, continuing to learn, continuing to grow and continuing to help a team win, I think is a, a great, great career move for him. And obviously he's going to a situation where they've got the talent with, with that top, with those top end guys. So I'm excited to see it.
1: Yeah, I still got a lot of love for Mike D'Antoni after his Laker uh, stint, but <clears throat> it's kind of funny to see everyone jump off the rocket ship and, and D'Antoni kind of was the le- one left without a a chair and musical chairs, which is unfortunate because I do think he's a good coach, but you, know, you got him there now, you got Jacques Vaughn, you got Imeo Doka, who was on the Popovich's staff, he was in Philadelphia last year. Uh, to head up the defense, and then they also uh, signed Amari Stoudemire, which is an interesting – didn't really consider him as a potential assistant coach in the league, but doesn't mean he can't do it. He's still a young guy, you know?
2: If – if, and especially for a young guy from a coaching standpoint, if mm-hmm. he's going into a situation and trying to immediately add value and y- you want to make sure he's a safe bet to add value, putting him with Nash, with Tony yep. to help yep. coach that offense – would be, I think, just a really smart move. So him working with their bigs, him working with KD, maybe they even go s- small ball, seven seconds or less, or we may see some morphing of of different offenses put together. I, I think it's, a, a, I don't know, I think they've done a really good job. I'm impressed with what Brooklyn has done so far. We'll see on the personnel side, from a roster standpoint, how they handle the next couple months. But I think they're they've very clearly taken some steps forward, and they're looking to take full advantage of the two stars that they have immediately rather than just, you know, go with what they had been doing and hope it works. I think they've recognized that it was time for a new approach and they've brought in the perfect people to take that approach. So, yeah, Brooklyn will be a fun team next year. I don't know if they'll quite be a title team yet. I think we still have a lot to see when it comes to personnel on the roster side. But, uh, yeah, I'll have my eye on Brooklyn. They should be fun.
1: Yeah, same. I'll definitely be keeping a close look on them to see what that team looks like uh, because you could see a path where they do make the finals and maybe are a contender. But the Nets are not our main topic today, Tim. We are going to be talking about our offensive archetypes. Uh, And so what you've done at uh, Basketball Index is basically go in and classify every player in the league with one of 12, I believe, archetypes. And... You know, there's there's a lot of nuance there. Players can be a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But ultimately, their data and their job, right, their responsibility from the team is going to be certain group of things. Right now, for for a little bit of context, I wanted to kind of read off to the audience some of the archetypes for the uh, 2019, 2020 Lakers to give you an idea of what's out there right now. Starting with with KCP, he's an archetype as a movement shooter. Um, last year, his role was an off-screen shooter, which is, you know, pretty much pretty much the same thing, more or less. But um, Markeith was versatile. Big, you can see that he's a versatile big last year. Danny Green and Avery Bradley both qualified as movement shooters. Um, Bradley was a stationary shooter last year. Uh, Rondo primary ball handler, of course. Uh, Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, both roll and cut bigs. It's kind of all they can do these days. Um, And then getting toward the end of the bench, we have uh, Caruso and Cook, both qualify as secondary ball handlers. Troy Daniels, uh, movement shooter. Jared Dudley, stationary shooter. And then we get down to Zach Norvell, who was on the team briefly, and he's an off-screen shooter. Uh, Obviously, there's... Also, you know, LeBron James uh, is going to be a primary shot creator, primary ball handler. Excuse me. Other guys we have as well. uh, AD is obviously a post scorer. Uh, We have Kyle Kuzma as a movement shooter. So you could kind of see, Tim, that the Lakers are surrounded by movement shooters, roll and cut bigs and secondary ball handlers. You think that was kind of uh, an intentional roster design just to start with? Uh, Looking forward as to what the Lakers could do this offseason?
2: Yeah, I certainly think a lot of it was intentional. That said, most of these guys were in the same roles last season, so it wasn't like they took players and completely changed their jobs. The one guy, I think the one most notable player who had a big role change was Dwight Howard, who every other season in his career in our database, he has been a post-score, and moving to a roll-and-cut-big position really limits the on-ball creation that you look from with him and that's just a better fit for for what his skill set is and him embracing this kind of role and i think this has been you know we, we, for several years this would have been the better role for him him taking that step to embrace that roll and cut big position this season was really big for la and uh, I, I think just in general la having a lot of players who play the same types of roles makes it easy to mix and match guys offensively and it's it's certainly a group that's built around ad and lebron with with the types mm-hmm. of skill sets that you have
1: yeah no that's totally what i was going to say right now you obviously have a post scorer of 80s uh, prolific ability and then you have a primary shot creator in lebron you're going to want guys on the perimeter shooting you're going to want guys diving using that verticality as a threat but kind of on a uh backing up a little to give people context, how did you go about breaking down the game and different players' jobs into these 12, you know, succinct, compact roles? And is there space for nuance kind of in between roles?
2: Great question. And the work that I've put together was very much building off of great work that had been done in the past, most notably Todd Whitehead, had put together the, I think we had 11 or 12 different offensive roles that we were using at B-Ball Index previously. Some of them are the same as, as these, but we've changed some, we've added some, we've removed some. Um, so I think just the work that he did where he was looking explicitly at synergy play type data was, was really helpful in being the first iteration of this. And Jeff Siegel actually start did his own thing with, with some of them. And I looked at those two and I saw areas for opportunity to make a more, I don't know, what, what I felt was a good concise list that addressed some missing roles that I saw between those two, was able to remove some roles I didn't think were necessary. And we're now left with these 12 that are put together based off of a mix of that synergy play type data along with a mix of tracking data. So for example, we now look at driving tendencies, not efficiency. And none of these are supposed to look at how someone's uh, production is or what their talent is. And we have the, the separate talent stuff for that. This is purely what is your job. And by looking at things like driving tendencies, we can better differentiate between on-ball players who are getting to the rim at high rates, and we have a slasher offensive archetype for that. And then the the guys off-ball who are getting to the rim frequently as athletic finishers who are you know cutting often, getting put backs um, just attacking the rim as more of an off-ball player like a Jonathan Isaac or an OG Ananobi, uh, as opposed to off-ball guys who are more shooters. And we have several different types of shooters. Uh, You may have noticed that neither of those two slasher or athletic finisher roles are on the Lakers this past season. I think that may have been intentional. They wanted guys who weren't—like, their two primary guys are attacking the way they attack, but everyone else is either finishing shots at the rim or they're shooters, pretty much. You have Rondo as that Mm -hmm. one primary ball handler, which means that you don't have too many guys that have the ball in their hands a lot as guard-type players. A lot of LA's guys that you would generally consider guards, and like KCP, Avery Bradley, um, th- those were actually categorized as shooters this year, just based on their roles. And that comes along with playing with someone like LeBron or playing with AD. And then we had Quinn Cook, who didn't play as much, but Alex Caruso, who is more a secondary ball handler. So he does some of that. Uh, some uh, he does some of those guard type tasks, but he isn't having the ball nearly in his hands as much as those primary ball handlers. To your second question about it, whether, like, I, I certainly think there's nuance to be had within these. And if anyone has any ideas for roles that aren't addressed or ways that we can break these down in a smarter way, I am very open to doing so. I think digging deeper into the movement shooter group and further differentiating within that might make sense um, mm-hmm. because I think that of all the roles has the largest hodgepodge of players. But so, so, so I wanted to say that, and then also there will be guys who are like, oh, yeah, this is a dead ringer for an off-screen shooter. Like, uh, I don't know, Kyle Korver, or no, let's say uh, Joe Harris. He's definitely an off-screen shooter. J.J. Redick, that's like all he does. But then you'll have guys who kind of do that, but then also do other things. Um, You'll have players like Rajon Rondo, who has primary ball handlers. Like, you know for sure they're a primary ball handler. Whereas in Alex Caruso, if we were to poll 100 people, You might get some people saying he's a slasher. You might get some people saying he's an athletic finisher. You might get some people saying he's a stationary shooter. You might get some secondary ball handler. So there are players like Caruso who do a little bit more than just secondary ball handler type tasks. But inherently with a categorization system like this, we can only put him into one of those. So understand that some of these guys may be more diverse in their jobs than the purest of pure of athletic finishers or of movement shooters um but when we're looking at what their primary job is that's where this can really come in and and help us very quickly know who is doing what
1: yeah it's really great to be able to look at kind of these roles and and be able to tell what a team could need based on you know what they're what they have and what they're missing the jobs that are available right so so for example we've been talking a little bit about the guard rotation and free agency specifically right so the lakers only have two primary ball handlers on the team and it's it's lebron's first primary archetype a shot creator right but he he is the primary ball handler as well. So take that into consideration, right? The Lakers have two primary ball handlers on the team. And I think, you know, without talking archetypes, you kind of knew that. Um, so if the Lakers don't bring back Rondo or if Rondo takes a lucrative deal elsewhere, are there other, any other, you know, primary ball handle archetype guys maybe we talked about in the last pod that stand out to you as possible... Replacements is does this archetype help you in evaluating what player would be good where? Is it a little bit too vague for that? What, how do you use this data as far as apl- application to your team and, and how to change your roster construction?
2: No, I, I think it's a really good resource to use if you're at a very high level trying to say, uh oh, we need to replace Rajon Rondo or we need to replace. I don't know Dwight Howard as a roll and cut big, or we need to replace KCP as a movement shooter. You can really easily just look up lists of that kind of guy, and then move from there. Um, There's no need to look at players and the other eleven archetypes if you can really quickly Mm -hmm. identify which guys do which. Now, if we look at all free agents who have been primary ball handlers uh, this past season. You have Fred Van Vliet, who's not going to be available uh, for the Lakers, at least. You have Rajan Rondo, who LA would probably like to have back. You have Goran Dragic, who we talked about previously, maybe out of our price range. Um, we have DJ Augustine, who is someone that we had mentioned is as a potential target. And he's a guy that is very much that point guard kind of point guard. And he'll be running pick and rolls, and he'll be scoring off of that. And, I mean, Frank Vogel has even coached him in the past. So if you're looking for a Rondo-type replacement in terms of how they're generating their offense and what their job has been, Augustine's a really good fit with that. Now, the the issue with Augustine, or the maybe not issue, but – Augustine's playmaking skill set and style is different from Rondo's where he Rondo's more of he's going to generate his passing from the pick and roll and it's good Augustine is more going to facilitate from set plays um, and isn't as good of a pick and roll passer but he's a pick and roll scorer and he's the kind of guy that can hit those pull-up threes which forces the defense to need to go over on screens and not go under against him which is something that with Rondo or Caruso or with LeBron the Lakers didn't quite have this year so there's a guy Uh, Shabazz Napier we talked about he's another primary ball handler and then Brad Wanamaker who we dismissed fairly quickly um, but he's another free agent that was also a primary ball handler this last year so that's that's the short list if you're looking for guys who explicitly fit that specific role
1: yeah. And looking at kind of the the notes for each archetype. Right. Uh, so what we're talking about is a primary ball handler means that they're they have a lower kind of number of plays in isolation. They're usually a guard and they're usually have a higher percentage of initiating offense. Um, as I look through these, I, what I wonder is, is there any kind of representation in here for a playmaking big, not just a versatile big who can shoot, roll, post up, but someone who can operate as a playmaker in that short role.
2: That's a great question. And in, in short-role playmaking, I think is probably the most scarce skill set f- among mm-hmm. bigs from a playmaking standpoint. You'll you'll find many more guys who are accru- accruing assists from executing handoffs or facilitating in set plays and obviously you have a spectrum even within that type of playmaking within these roles it's really looking at how are you as a scorer so you mentioned the big man archetypes we have post scorers like a Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid back to your back not it doesn't need to be back to the basket but they are post up get the ball on ball shot creator kind of guys you have stretch bigs who aren't going to be scoring in the post they aren't going to be uh, rolling and cutting as much. They're more going to space the floor. They have higher three-point attempt rates. This is more like your Frank Kaminsky's, your Marcus Then you have roll-and-cut bigs who have low three-point attempt rates. They're not posting up often. That's what we mentioned. The Lakers have a couple of those. Other guys on other teams might be Clint Capella, DeAndre Jordan. Um, and then you have versatile bigs who can do a little bit of all of it, like a Carl Anthony Towns or Kevin Love. None of that identifies the playmakers. So what we did was we've added in a playmaker tag along with all 12 roles to identify players within each of them that would fit, uh, like they still do that offensive role from a scoring standpoint, but they are also on the higher end when it comes to playmaking. So for example, among uh, versatile bigs this this season, you had Carl Anthony Towns as a playmaking versatile big. Then you had Carmelo Anthony as just a versatile big. There's no playmaking tag in front of that. And from watching him, we can understand why. If we talk about post scores, you have Jokic, who is a playmaking post scorer, whereas LaMarcus Aldridge was just a post scorer. For stretch bigs, Marcus Saul was a playmaking stretch big. Aaron Baines was just a regular stretch big. For rolling cut bigs, we have Ben Simmons, which... It's, it isn't a name that, you know, a couple of years ago you would have been thinking would be in this category, but he's a playmaking role and cut big, whereas Mitchell Robinson doesn't have that playmaking gene. He's more just a regular role and cut big. So that is how we've chosen to approach this. If we want to look specifically at playmaking in the short role, I think you actually have to break down some film. Um, I saw Sergi Ibaka will do it and do it well. Marcus Saul will do it and do it well, both Toronto guys, but both free agents. Um, I, I really think it comes down to probably start with looking at guys that fit within the playmaker categories within those different big man groups. And then among them, break down the film for for that short list of players and then try to try to look at that. So I, I think you're asking the right question. I think a lot of teams should be asking, hey, wh- where are the good short roll passers? Um, and that's something that I would want to do a little bit more pre-work To break down more film and, and have a better list put together But I've looked at a bunch of different guys And said oh you know what This big man has really good passing data But he's not doing any of it from the short roll Like Bam didn't do much of it from there uh, uh, Yusuf Nurkic He wasn't a short role passer at all And that was something the Lakers used against him Carmelo Anthony's not doing it Hassan Whiteside's not doing it um, so just, it, it, we can't quite get there yet with the data cause we don't have that kind of specific, Hey, this guy was playmaking from that specific situation. Um, but in the future, I think that's something we can talk about on the pod. And uh, ideally in the future, we have better data to be able to address that as well.
1: Yeah, you know, one thing I wonder if you could use this for, which is really interesting is, kind of as a, a metric to view the rest of the league and how players are being used so for example if there's a particular guy on another team right say so it's a trade deadline and you look at these archetypes and you say okay this guy's being used as an off-screen shooter but Really, his best kind of role is maybe a movement shooter, shooter, which is so an off-screen shooter is someone who's catching, shooting off of screens, running their guy off pin downs, and a movement shooter is someone who's not like as active shooting off screens, who has more and movement and involved, and involved and with the catch and catch shoot. And shoot. So, so relocating guys get catching skip passes on the weak side. If a guy is not being used the right way. I think based on, obviously, his data, the film, and these archetypes, you can look around the league and find some market inefficiencies, I think. What do you think about using the archetypes as kind of a, a way to to value players on other teams?
2: Yeah, that's spot on. And a lot of times I'll see folks on Twitter or in other conversations value or evaluate players based on you know what did their impact metrics say or what was their efficiency. But you have to understand that both of those things are for the job that they were doing. And if they're in the wrong job, given the skill set they have, you're going to see deflated numbers compared to what you might be able to see if you optimize them better. So using the database that we have at B-Ball Index, or just, you know, if you have a really sharp eye test and you're able to say, oh, wow, this guy would be much better, or or this guy's ideal role is as a rolling cut big, but he's being used as a post scorer. You can identify those market inefficiencies and you can see guys in free agency or at the trade deadline or just throughout the year that could be in better situations if you were to just change their role. We can ignore scheme. We can ignore the guys they're playing alongside. Just within role, there's a lot of room to make more out of players. And this is something that I'm compiling a database for when it comes to uh, really looking at the opportunity cost with players between the impact that they have and the impact they might be able to have if in what we would consider the optimized role for them. So I think that's one way to analyze players with this. Another thing that's interesting is uh, in, in the document you and I are using, there's the Archetype Breakdown tab, and it shows the breakdown of players within each archetype year over year. And we can see that Like post-scores in 2013-2014, there were 80 different players that were within that archetype uh, that had at least 100 scoring possessions. But every single season, like clockwork, that number has gone down and down and down and down to the point that we only had 22 of those in 2019-2020. So you can look at this two different ways. One, this is a more scarce skill set or more scarce job But you have to also look at it as this is trending down for a reason because we don't quite need these guys or these guys aren't as valuable as they used to be or the talent isn't quite there the way it used to be. Really, the the right answer is that it's not as useful as we once thought. Then you also have guys like versatile bigs who their numbers are pretty low, but they're pretty low consistently year after year. And that's just because the, the talent isn't quite there to put too many big men in that all around kind of position. In this past season, we only had 13 players in the league that played that job. Uh, 2018, 2019, there were 14 guys. Um, In 2014, 2015, there were only four guys. And I think a part of that is the fact that in those older days, we didn't have as many three-point shooters among the big, so it was less common to see someone who can post up and also hit threes. Um, So I, I think there are a lot of different ways you can analyze these archetypes to look at your own roster and identify areas for opportunity, to look at other players on other teams, look at players in the draft and say, okay, I think this guy is a being used as a stretch big, but he has the, the potential to be a versatile big one day. Um, we, we have metrics on a dashboard at B-Ball Index where you can look at the average impact for players based on their archetype. And you can see that stationary shooters tend to be worth less than movement shooters, who tend to be worth less than off-screen shooters. And, and that makes sense because each move there is a step up in terms of the complexity and the demand on your skill set to do that job. But if you have the skill set to do the job well, you're a, you have a, a higher ceiling for the, the, what you're able to produce and what your impact is able to be. Like, we, we can take Steph Curry and make him a stationary shooter, and he's going to be mean less to a team than if we make him an off-screen shooter. Um, and, and Steph, I think, is a more complete player than that, and I think he's probably more of a shot creator or a primary ball handler. But uh, maybe J.J. Redick's a better example. Um, if we look at, like, KCP or Avery Bradley, I think the Lakers have done well with getting their guys to be moving around rather than just standing still. Like, we used to see some players on on some of those old Cavs teams um, so, I don't know. There, there are a lot of different ways you can look at this, understanding what roles work well together or around a specific player or better optimizing guys. There's just so many different ways that you can analyze. And, and this opens so many doors just because we're able to concisely, with only 12 labels, identify what every single player in the league for the past almost decade has done for their job and then try to match that up with their skill set.
1: So it's it's a, it's an incredible kind of metrics to use to kind of look at the way the league has developed. But I do wonder if it is a little bit of hindsight being 2020, because we're viewing this 2013-14 season, which you've accumulated this data under the role lens of 2020, because there weren't always versatile bigs that, you know, all, like popped to the level of that they do now so they don't necessarily qualify when in the context of the does that make sense sense? yes
2: just looking at who did what on its own does not tell us that like we cannot make the assumption that in 2013-2014 coaches in general were just optimizing players poorly we would have to kind of compare this with another chart that looks at OK, what were the op- most optimized roles by player by year and then then compare those? And, and my guess would be that it's more of a skill set change and growth and development over time and, and shift towards a different style of game. And that's why we see some of the, the difference here. But I do think post scores going away ha- also has to do with the fact that teams don't want to have a guy standing at the block who, when they have the ball in their hands... If they're creating their own offense, it's not all that efficient. And when they don't have the ball in their hands, when they're standing on the block or in the front of the rim, they're clocking, they're clogging or blocking driving lanes. So the game has changed from a talent standpoint, from a, okay, we recognize that this style of play might be more valuable standpoint. Um, and along with that, we've seen a rise in stretch bigs from only 16 in 2013, 14 to 17 to 21 to 35 to 39 to 49 to 53 this past year. So more than what? More than tripled. Um, So there's definitely been a change. And looking at it historically, I think, is cool and understanding how that's all fit together. But, yeah, for Lakers fans now, analyzing – and we have all this info on the player profiles. If you look at B-Ball Index and you want to look for guys to match – what the team needs in a specific area, it's really easy to do that. Or if you're saying, all right, we need to look for a primary ball handler and you pull someone up and they are an athletic finisher that tells you that their job is very different from what you're looking for. Um, so there's a lot you can do with this. Uh, and, and yeah, I just, I can lose so many hours just playing around with this all day.
1: No, it's really cool, man. And it's, it's literally like defining the puzzle pieces that go together to make a good team. And, and I, I just wanted to say that I think it is accurate as far as projecting trends going forward. I was just, you know, wanted to put it out there that we're viewing the these past seasons through a role lens that is a little bit different in the way basketball is played now, but at least you what's interesting to me is that you can track and you wrote this up in your article that the majority overwhelming majority of versatile bigs were either post scores or stretch bigs the year prior. So what does that tell you? That tells you, okay, these teams are telling their big guys, okay, you're a post score. Well, I need you to kind of do a little bit more playmaking or take, take more threes is usually the more uh, common path to this, but we're seeing how teams are developing their roles, their jobs, uh, and not, it's not necessarily player specific, right? So the last year, uh, most of the post scores were roll and cut bigs the year prior, you know, uh, strong majority of primary ball handlers were secondary ball handlers the year prior. Maybe that has to do with a player getting more of an opportunity. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great way and a great thing for agents to use, I think, as far as navigating their players to uh, a place that they think they're needed and quantifying what, what they're worth.
2: For sure. Yeah, and you can look at – and, and we, we do literally do this when we consult with, with agents. <laughs> we'll say, hey, yeah. your guy in the job that he does – if he's able to produce this kind of impact, would be worth X amount of dollars based on what the market says. And we've, I've, I've had conversations with agents who have like G League players who are really good stationary shooters. And I'll tell them, hey, if you can help this guy work on this specific w- footwork, here are a couple of drills. Here's here are a couple of examples of of the next step to help him become a movement shooter. If you can change him from stationary shooter to movement shooter, his value will go up. Or if you have a movement shooter and you can turn him into an off-screen shooter, his value will go up again. And and some of what you mentioned is coaches or agents, coaches telling players, hey, we want you to do a little bit more. But a lot of it is just the natural growth. It's natural progression. Naturally, guys come into the league able to do less. And then over time, they add to their skill set and they don't jump around randomly from like, off-screen shooter to athletic finisher to shot creator like that's that's a nonsensical track that you just will not see what you will see are guys like joe harris who started their careers stationary shooter then they moved to movement shooter then they moved to off-screen shooter and they never were like you you don't want to be out in front of your skill set you don't want to throw someone into a shot creator role that's just clearly not ready for it because that is just a not it's not a good way to make the most of them it's not a good way for them to succeed and especially with those bigger roles like shot creator or like off-screen shooter those are complex roles that if you just don't have the skill set for you can have a a strong opportunity for a negative impact if you're in a role that's just very much not not fitting your skill set so a lot of it's natural progression and uh, from the team side, from the coaching side, from the agent side, from the player development side, there's so many ways to look at this. Another way that you can look at this is team style from an X's and O standpoint. And I, I took a look at, I just tallied, okay, here's how many of each of these positions exist on all 30 teams in the NBA. And you can see those Golden State Warrior teams in a very differentiating way, have way, way more off-screen shooters than any other team in the league. Or then you'll look at teams like uh, Houston, who will often have a bunch of stationary shooters along with their shot creators or along with their, like Russell Westbrook. I don't know if he was a slasher or a shot creator this past year, but he was definitely one of those two. Um, so you can you can see the styles of play that are at play just by looking at a, a chart of how many guys are on which teams. Um, and that's probably something I should put together and, and throw up on on the site so folks can check that out because I think that's another really interesting thing and can help you if you, if you want to look at, okay, what kinds of teams run similar schemes to the Lakers at a high level by, from a role standpoint? Maybe those are teams we should be poaching more from that would be a natural fit with our system. As opposed to trying to take someone from Houston and throw them into Golden State system, or or vice versa.
1: So I wonder, and and you know so much more about this, but I wonder if there's a way for you, and I know you have the badges as well that is more of a qualitative measurement, right, of of how, what guys are good at, and and much more zoomed in, uh, more categories than these twelve. But I wonder if there's. The next evolution of this archetype is almost like a like a Pokemon evolution, right? Like there's three stages almost to your point of each role. And as you develop your skills and develop your responsibilities, it marks, you know, within one of the three stages of evolution are is your job in right now. Right. So are you just a guy we could dump the ball in to get? some post scores, um, as a second unit guy, or are you that Jokic, we actually run our offense through you big. Um, so, and there's so many like unicorns in the NBA these days, right? Guys who are seven feet tall and, you know, making game winning threes like Anthony Davis. And there's Jokic and, and, you know, towns and so many guys are so good at, things that we've really never seen at a level like this before. But yeah, I'm just wondering if there's kind of a a qualitative uh, thing you can build into this uh, archetype system as yeah. well. Yeah,
2: Well, I think what you are asking about is what uh, with our previous iteration of roles we had put together and called a role ladder where it said for... It basically illustrated the relationship between each of the different types of roles and said, okay, if you start as a secondary ball handler, your next evolution would be to become a primary ball handler. And then if you're a primary right. ball handler, the the next place that you can go to would either be as like a shot creator or maybe a slasher, I think would be what it looks like these days. Or if you're an af- let's say you're an athletic finisher, you're one of those off-ball cutter kind of guys, maybe the next step for you would, to be, would be to become a stationary shooter. And then once you're a stationary shooter, you look at a movement shooter, then off-screen shooter. and there, there's, there are natural progressions. There are some roles that are just kind of – there isn't quite a natural starting or ending point from where they are. But understanding right. those relationships, understanding how that fits in with player development, and then I think also combining that with some of the uh, just data we have on, on previous guys, you can say, okay, we're starting from, I don't know, whatever stationary shooter – the next evolution of him looks like uh, Avery Bradley, and then the next evolution looks like Joe Harris, are trying to put players along with that to help illustrate what's what. Um, You you bring up the badges, which I think would be another great uh, resource to introduce on another pod. Those are quantitative. It's a quantitative way to approach a qualitative way of describing players. Like, it's not job, necessarily. It's more looking at which critical skills does a player have a proficiency in Uh, whether that be corner three-point shooting or finishing well through contact or picking people's pockets on ball or being really active playing passing lanes off ball on defense so that's another great resource that I think just from a I don't know if you just think bigger picture and you try to connect some of this stuff to like the business world and you're you talk from a uh, almost from a human resources standpoint, and you look at how employees are evaluated with their skill sets and then put into the right roles for them. And then you evaluate critical skills and the accumulation of critical skills is such a key thing. This parallels very well with that. Um, but yeah, I, I think what you're talking about with those Pokemon cards almost would, would be a really cool way <laughs> to uh, it would clearly illustrate what, what some of these relationships look like. And that's something that We'll definitely take a look at building moving forward
1: yeah so check this stuff out uh on on b-ball index the the archetypes here are really interesting i want to dive in more specifically to what the roles of the players the lakers might have on as free agents uh look like so again kcp is a movement shooter we have markeith morris is a versatile big uh, Avery Bradley is that player option. He's a movement shooter. Rondos are our uh, second, basically only primary ball handler. Dwight Howard's another role and Cut Big. Are you looking at replacing these guys like strictly at a one to one replacement of their archetypes? Or is there a little bit different kind of philosophy you can see in replacing what the Lakers might need to replace?
2: You can look at it a couple of ways. I I think one of the simplest ways would be to try to see if there are any easy, clear, affordable one-for-one replacements. That said, I think you can seek a specific skill set. Like, you can seek a movement shooter out that doesn't necessarily need to be a movement shooter today. Today, they might be a stationary shooter. Today, they might be an off-screen shooter. Um, So, looking at it just with your wish... Like, if you're filtering just by what their archetypes are now... That will give you a different list, although one with tons of overlap than if you were to just pull up guys that you think might succeed in that specific role. Um, but I will say with any sort of free agent signing, if you're putting a guy into an offensive role that he's already using, that he's already doing, you're going to have a much more clear transition and you can... Uh, you, you can assume, and you can have a higher degree of certainty, a higher degree of confidence that they'll be able to replicate what they did last season moving forward. If we talk about movement shooters, Glenn Robinson, Tony Snell, Wesley Matthews, Jay Crowder, Avery Bradley, uh, Nick Batum, Garrett Temple, Langston Galloway, Courtney Lee, Bryn Forbes, KCP, Justin Holiday, um Davis Bertans. Those those are some of the guys who played that job last season that will be free agents. This offseason, I mean, they might be restricted, they might have a team option, they might have a player option, but they will be in some way involved with being evaluated either by their own team or other teams uh, to be brought back. So just from that list, when we talk about KCP replacements, I think on Monday when we go over some of the Lakers' wings and we talk about uh, KCP and KCP replacements, Glenn Robinson, Langston Galloway, uh, Courtney Lee, these are some of the guys that were already on my list, Justin Holiday. Th- these are players that it helped me when I was searching for guys to look at. It's helping me now just to see, oh, man, who didn't <laughs> I consider? Um, mm-hmm. But it's a really quick way. And I, just, I think understanding when you're trying to evaluate what someone can be, there's just so much uncertainty around it with, you know, they're getting older. Does that mean they're going to get better? Does that mean they're going to get worse? You have to understand what their age is and how that factors in. Is the job that you're asking them to do the same job that they had last year? If so, great. If not, do we expect them to perform better or perform worse in this new job? Maybe they were really poorly optimized, or maybe you're asking someone to do a job that is much too big for their current skill set. So understanding what their job was, even if it's not necessarily what you want them going into is a really key piece of evaluating free agents, evaluating trades, evaluating lineup fit, rotation fit, all that sort of stuff. And we've spoken previously about how when the Lakers are looking to replace Rondo, they're looking for someone not necessarily to play with LeBron. We have KCP, we have Avery Bradley, we have Caruso, who either are secondary ball handlers or are movement shooters that can play that role with the Rondo replacement, you're looking for someone who can lead that second unit, play alongside AD, and for something like that, yeah, primary ball handler is probably what you're looking for. If you take a secondary ball handler who isn't ready to be a become a primary ball handler and stick them into that job, like if we stuck Caruso into that job, he's probably not going to be able to do it as well as Rajon Rondo could. Um, or if you stick a stationary shooter and make him do that job, that's not going to go so hot. So... Considering that when you're understanding who you're looking for, not just as a direct one-for-one replacement, but thinking forward to what the rotation will look like and then what roles matter, I think is important. For LA, we have enough continuity that it doesn't matter all that much. But if you're Brooklyn, bringing us back to the, the beginning of the pod and you're trying to fit about think about what skill sets fit within uh, Steve Nash, D'Antoni's system, and then what skill sets fit around Kyrie and Kevin Durant, that can shape the way that you approach free agency. And these resources help you really quickly understand which guys would match that.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting point too. I hadn't considered that kind of using these archetypes to build not only a roster, but a team strategy of certain types of offenses, which guys you know, need a- another secondary playmaker on the court maybe. But um, the other thing I wanted to get to quickly was... I don't see a ton of change in these archetypes for this team moving forward outside of maybe Alex Caruso developing le- more into that slasher uh, instead of a secondary ball handler. Maybe Kyle Kuzma uh, developing outside of a mo- movement shooter. Uh, I Other than that, though, these guys, you know, mostly veterans on the team, so they are who they are. But within the context of the Lakers roster, do you see any potential change of archetypes for any of these players?
2: Possibly. I think the three that would be most likely to happen, or maybe the four that would be most likely to happen, would be Anthony Davis moving from post-score to versatile big, which would mean he would be upping his uh, three-point attempt rate which could be possible he he may not do it and he could be a post scorer but he'll i mean yeah. being a post scorer doesn't mean you don't shoot threes it's a matter right. of do you pass the specific threshold to become a versatile big so that's one i think on the other end you have Marquise Morris who uh, overall for the season with Detroit and LA was a versatile big i think for LA he's someone we'd want more as a stretch big so that might be what his role morphs into next season if he comes back i think Kuzma like you said he was a movement shooter last year. He was one this year. I don't see him taking a leap to off-screen shooter necessarily. I think maybe for him the, the move might be to shot creator, but I don't know if mm-hmm. that's best for the team based on what his role is for this team right now. Maybe later in his career, maybe on a different team, maybe with right. a different roster it could make sense. It might make his impact higher. It could also make his impact lower if he's not ready for it, but that could be something we see. And then KCP moving from a movement shooter to an off-screen shooter would be the one other that he's ready for. He's not the most versatile. He's, he doesn't have the the best IQ reading those situations, but he has a good enough IQ that you can run him off of more of those uh, types of screens and, and be generating a higher gravity than you will without involving a second player. Um, especially if LA is playing big and has non-shooting bigs out there using them as screen setters is a really good way to draw the their defender towards them and not let their defender just kind of make camp in the paint so uh whenever LA is playing big with Dwight or JaVale or whoever's out there trying to leverage them more not just in the dunker spot but to set screens for some of these players can make sense so KCP taking that jump is another one that I would not at all be surprised if we see. But other than that, like you said, a lot of these guys are doing the job we want them to do. And, and that is part of what has made this team so great. We talk about and they talk about guys being stars in their roles. Rajon Rondo, like you want him as your, your primary ball handler. Danny Green, he is a great movement shooter. LeBron, obviously shot creator. Dwight Howard being your roll and cut big. And being a really good rolling cut big, as opposed to being a bad post scorer, makes all the difference in the world in the impact he can have on your offense. So I think that LA has done a really good job of optimizing what they have already. But there are just those, probably those four that we might see. My, If I were to rank them in terms of the most likely changes, I'd say AD, then Markeith, then KCP, then Kuzma.
1: Yeah, we'll be keeping an eye on that um, as far as how these players look in their roles next year. Uh, is it? Is there anything else you want to go over with this? There's a lot of data here, as, as always, my man, but anything else you want to throw out in, uh, in conclusion about these offensive role types? We'll get to defense hopefully another time because that's obviously another piece of the puzzle.
2: I think the one other way that you can look in free agency would be to find players with that playmaking tag I think would, would always be a, a good way to approach things. If, if you have a if you have two guys that you're looking at and they do the same things and have the same skill sets, if one of them is that playmaker, I'd, I'd lean that way. And the way we set up this playmaking tag it, it doesn't just identify the shot creators and primary ball handlers, it's going to identify players who are playmakers within their roles. So you'll find guys who are athletic finishers, who are playmakers among athletic finishers. That you know, they're, they're, you don't want to have them run your pick and roll offense, but within their job, they do a good job of passing and, and being good ball movers. So keeping that in mind as you look at free agency, I think will be important. Um, and and I just think that's another general PSA I'd I'd want to put out there. Uh, the other thing is if you if anyone does want to know what is a player's role or what has a player's role been on bball index we have a series of free pages um, and we have the 2019 2020 impact metrics page we also have one two three four we have another six pages going all the way back to 2013 2014 where you can click on it pull up a list of players and from there you can see what their offensive archetype is you can see what their defensive role is, and we'll we'll talk about those on another pod. You can see their minutes, their position, and then you see a whole slew of data when it comes to their PIPM, their RPM, their BPM, their Raptor, the teams that they were on, even if they are on multiple teams, how many games they played. So if you really quickly want to say, oh, man, what was C.J. McCollum this year? Or what was Terry Rozier's defensive role this year? What was Jokic's offensive role? For free, really easily, you can go and pull that up, and then there are filters in there as well if you want to filter by specific uh, groups. This doesn't quite have who the free agents are. You'd have to look at our uh, player profiles for that, but that's another great resource that's free if anyone wants to dig into these a little bit more and see just what what's out there and who is what and who has been what, and you can try to track the the careers of different players and how they've grown over time, which I think is really neat.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's another, you know, tool in the tool bag, man. I, I really do think like it makes sense to me that you've you've spoken with agents about this and it just kind of gives a a general context. Of course, there's more nuance. This in combination with film uh, is an incredible tool to this will point you in an area of where the forest is. And then you can go in there on your own and kind of dig a little deeper looking for truffles and other goodies um tim we're gonna come back monday uh like you mentioned before we are going to talk about the the wings rotation for the lakers so kind of give us a season review uh and then kind of project forward next season as to who could be a part of the wing rotation and who uh, might be on the team so uh anything else you got man it's been another wild kind of couple days in the nba with uh things starting to ramp up toward that december 22nd start
2: Not much else. I I guess just pump the Discord one more time. If if folks are enjoying the podcast and want to chat with us, chat with other listeners, we have put together a Discord which is just it's it's essentially a big group chat, but it has different channels. So if you want to talk about the draft, or talk about free agency, or talk about the general NBA, there are different pages that you can do that on. You can share videos, you can share links, you can share gifts, all that different stuff. Um, If you want to join that reach out to either DM me, DM Tom, send us a screenshot of a five-star review of the pod. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that on Apple Podcasts on the app and we'll throw you right in um, and, and you can join those conversations. And then depending on what my uh, workload looks like this weekend with, with Halloween and football and all that stuff, maybe I'll find some time to do another stream one of these nights and we can go through some more free agents and really dig into... And I can share my screen and we can look at some film or look at their Basketball Index player profile or Synergy page or whatever it happens to be and say, oh, man, like, who is this? I don't know. Who is this uh, Langston Galloway guy and where might he fit? Let's let's take a deep dive. So keep an eye out for that. Um, I'll try to get some more of those scheduled moving forward, but you can find that all in the discord.
1: Sounds great, man. And yeah, we're doing three days a week uh, going forward as, as well. So if you haven't, go check out our episode on Wednesday with Alex Regula. He uh, did a, a great throwdowns newsletter on DJ Augustine, like we talked about. Uh, so go out there. He talked to you know, someone who watches the magic on a regular basis to get that extra context because... You know, we can go on Synergy and watch these guys in a vacuum, but it doesn't give you the context for what they're asked to do. You can look at these role types, right? But film will always help and context will always just make all of this analysis even more important. So follow Tim on Twitter at Tim underscore MBA. Follow me at Creative Destroyer and uh, we will catch you guys next time.
0: Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G.